You are tuned into the Social Work Me podcast with your host, Matt Barnes, and this is episode 25. And today I'm joined by an amazing guest from Toronto named Jory Morrow. And Jory is a registered social worker. She's a community mental health psychotherapist at the South Riverdale Community Health Centre. She's also a professional actor, playwright, and producer, as well as a certified mindfulness meditation coach and facilitator. And Jory was kind enough to take some time out of her busy schedule to talk to me all about how to cultivate creativity and mindfulness in social work. And this will be applicable for people outside of the social work field as well. Anybody in the helping profession, mental health practitioner, psychotherapist, this episode is for you. And Jory really takes me through how to create the space to have more creativity in our lives and she she walks me through some really practical and easy steps to build our mindfulness practice and how to teach clients how to do this and then we also weave in the crossover between being an artist an actor and a social worker and some of the similarities and common techniques that are really helpful in both fields as always if you like the show Subscribe, give us a rating. Would love to hear from you. Any feedback is always appreciated. You can find us on Instagram at the Social Work Me Podcast. And just a few words from our sponsors before we get to the show. How many no-shows have you faced in the last month? With Owl Practice's automated email and text message reminders, you can save yourself time while also reducing your no-show count. This is one of the best features of Owl Practice and allows you to send automated messages to your clients to remind them of their appointments. This cuts back on no-shows, on last-minute cancellations, and saves you a lot of time and energy. All Social Work Me listeners will get their first month free with Owl using the promo code SOCIALWORKME. So head over to owlpractice.ca slash socialworkme.php for all the details. This episode is brought to you by Rebel Office. It's an online resource center for entrepreneurs, including mentorship, strategy building, and graphic and web design services. To get in touch with Rebel Office about elevating your practice, visit rebeloffice.ca and let them know that Social Work Me podcast sent you. And finally, this podcast would only be possible with the support of Southwest Counseling Services in Sarnia, Ontario. All right, let's get to the show with the amazing guest, Jory Morrow. How does that make you feel? Don't social work me. <laughs> hey, Jory. Oh. <laughs> Did I scare you? <laughs> That's funny. Hello. Hello. Just making sure you're awake over there. Yeah. Well, it's so nice to, to talk to you and... and I'm really looking forward to our, our conversation today and to learn more about creativity and mindfulness and social work. It sounds like a great combination of things. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, interesting and it's it's kind of new, Matt. It's kind of one of those subjects that uh, is st- just starting to be researched. And I think there's some exciting intersectionality between the three of them. Yeah. And, you know, there's a mutual connection with Bill Gaynor. And I always love hearing from Bill and he reached out and passed on your information. And it sounds like you guys are in the touching the earth mindfulness community together. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that at some point, but you know, you're a social worker, um, a professional actor, artist, playwright, producer, meditation and mindfulness teacher, the, you know, so many hats that you wear. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what life looks like right now, um, sort of a year into the pandemic? What, what does your work look like and what are you up to these days? Well, like many humans, I've had to pivot and adjust and readjust sometimes on a daily basis. Um, so in terms of my work as a social worker, it changed quite radically. 
Um, thankfully, I work at a place that's very creative um, in their approach. They're very innovative in their approach to delivering services, always have been, uh, which is South Riverdale Community Health Centre here in Toronto. Um, and I think it speaks volumes that we were quite successful in literally mobilizing a huge workforce to be able to be continue delivering uh, services to our populations. And we serve many, many diverse populations. So prior post, or sorry, prior to the pandemic, I was working in an office face-to-face -face with clients. I was working in an open access clinic, which means no appointment necessary for providing social work service. Meeting on a regular basis with fantastic team of social workers. And really, um, yeah, very much as we can all imagine what my practice looked like. I have a general practice at South Riverdale. I'm very lucky again to see a broad spectrum of, of folks in the neighborhood in the East End, primarily of Toronto. Mm. So I had to pivot quickly, quickly to working from home um, and occasionally having to go to go in because there were some things that had to be addressed on site, of course, but all meetings again, virtually, thank goodness for the innovation of technology, right? <laughs> that we could do these. I'm very, very grateful, very grateful to uh, folks who work in IT because they were very instrumental in making this happen. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And it sounds like you, I did some digging and found South Riverdale Community Center put out this, I think it was 40 years of, of staff and kind of profiling everybody. And I read about some of your coworkers and yourself. And it sounds like that's an area of Toronto that you grew up in. I did. Yes, I did. And I went to school in that area and I knew a lot of the families and many of which have moved on or, you know, are gone. But um, as a social worker, it's interesting when, because I always knew I wanted to go back to that community and um, felt I wanted to give something back. And of course my identity is, some of my identity is rooted in that part of Toronto. So I worked in a variety of places, if, if it's okay to go into that at this. Yeah, I worked in many different places. Um, you know, upon graduating, I was, I was uh, from social work training. I worked, I was working in group homes at that time in developmental services. I worked in shelters here in Toronto for um, domestic violence. Uh, then I went on to work in what's, what was known, they're no longer in existence, the Self-Help Resource Centre of Toronto. And I was a facilitator in um, mutual aid self-help support groups around the greater Toronto area, which was a very rewarding experience. I then ended up becoming manager of a, of a brand new project. At that time, services didn't really exist comprehensively for caregivers of seniors and caregivers uh, specifically of seniors who, who have dementia. So I started this a program. I hired some great people and we had an, a newsletter and workshops and started a volunteer run, volunteer trained warm line for caregivers to phone in and get get support and information and resources um, and uh, started a, a breakfast network of all the, the providers in Metro Toronto that were providing services for caregivers and seniors, but didn't really network together. So that was a five-year project. And, uh, and I can still see to this day, and this is going back in, into the nineties, right? I can still see to this day, uh, some some slight residual effects of that particular program. So I'm quite proud of that. Um, then I went on to work in the hospital sector. I was at St. Joe's Hospital and I worked with the geriatric clinic and a multidisciplinary clinic doing outpatient work, social work and running groups. I was very fortunate to use some group skills at that point and run caregiver support groups in the hospital. And kept an eye, kept my eye on South Riverdale Community Health Center. Um, and, a, and a position came up and I landed the job and I've been there for 18 years now. Wow, that's amazing. What, yeah. a, what a path. And I, I will talk about your acting career, which it sounds like kind of weaves in and out of there, your social work career as well. But it I'm does. just curious, what's it like working in the Community Health Center? What's the open access like? Can you talk a little bit about the population? you know, how does it work in terms of number of sessions? 
Is there a theme? Yeah. And maybe a bit about your approaches, if you can. Sure, of course. Um, so I have a, a full caseload, as most social workers do. And of course, it it really, really expanded uh, as the pandemic arrived. Um, so it got incredibly busy, as you can imagine. Um, I, I would say in my particular practice, I, it's a, what I would call a, a general clinical practice. Um, I don't see anyone under 16, um, but would offer the resources, you know, to redirect people. At South Riverdale, we have so many programs. It's just, I mean, it's incredible. We, we serve seniors. We serve folks that are street involved. We have a safe uh, supply program, safe consumption program, harm reduction, counterfeit program. Um, there's kitchen, community kitchen before the pandemic, of course, community kitchen programming, uh, a variety of, of programs specific to a di- diabetes um, program as well, looking and then looking at all the things that would interface that. So diabetes and mental health, diabetes and homelessness, diabetes and folks that uh, maybe are more, um, shall we say, uh, facing a lot of social inequities. And absolutely, the, the center embraces the social determinants of health, which is really the lens in which we, we do most of our work. Uh, I'm, I know I'm missing many programs, but there's a newcomers program uh, specifically looking at services for non-insured clients that are new to Canada, uh, new to new to the, the city as well. Um, there's an environmental program that's very vast and very broad and has been there for many, many years. I believe since the early in years of inception of South Riverdale, it's very famous, some of the environmental work. Uh, I think... I know I'm missing many programs, but there's a, a broad uh, diversity. Let's put it that way in the populations that we serve. Yeah. Wow. And and how many sessions do you typically get with your clients? And I guess maybe it's different if they're just kind of showing up for the open access. Yeah, open access is an interesting clinic in that it it was created out of a need to try and serve folks that can't keep appointments necessarily for a whole bunch of reasons, a variety of reasons. And, and to look at sort of those one-off case management, case coordination needs. So form fill, you know, very instrumental practical supports. However, there is occasion where um, we would do single session counseling. Um, quite often people are coming in with a very specific focus problem. And so we're doing solution focused kinds of therapy and interventions. Um, or it's really resource-based, like we're trying to link people up to, you know, to resources within the organization and also externally. We have a lot of really strong external partnerships and quite often we're able to util- utilize those as well in the best interest of our clients. People don't need an appointment. Um, it is timed. Uh, every afternoon, there's a different social worker on it um, every day, generally, and um, it's pretty much open. It's open to to the community at large and also to our internal community. Hmm. Wow, that sounds excellent. And so maybe let's talk about creativity. This is a okay. big part of your life and, and your career. How yeah. does how does creativity and social work intersect? Can you talk a little bit about about that? Okay, thank you. I I have to be honest with you. This has been something I've been interested in for a long, long time. I I had a I had a course. It, sadly, unfortunately, I can't remember the prof's name, but I had a course in my social work training, and it really stuck. And I think because I was an actor before I did my social work training and started my social work career, I had trained as an actor, and I had a few years as an actor early in my life. Uh, professional actor, but then I decided to go on and become a social worker and pursue that. But I had a social work prof and the course essentially was creativity in social work. And I loved it. I thought he was so onto something I felt that really resonated for me because there is a, there is a, um, a commonality, I think, between mindfulness, creativity, and social work. And I think the common elements would be certainly you know, empathy, compassion, being non-judgmental, right? And and I think 
human stories, right? So creativity, the arts, if we think of the, the, the formal uh, uh, conventional art forms like choreography or musical composition or writing or art, fine arts, painting, those folks are creating something out of nothing generally. And then there's interpretive art. So actors are often defined as interpretive artists, dancers, musicians, and singers as interpretive artists. But what this guy was saying was, forget all that. You know, maybe you happen to paint or happen to be an actor, but he was inviting us to think of social work creatively as creators, as people who are entering into it with our, our own personality, our own uniqueness, um, that we bring our own brand to the work, our own signature, which is what artists do eventually after they've worked for a while, they have their own, their own style, if you will. And I found that very exciting because I thought, why, you know, there's no one way to be a social worker. We have found foundational training. We certainly have professional characteristics and, and a value system that that is common between all of us, I'm assuming. But I think the work that we bring to the table can be quite dynamic because we're diff we're unique. We bring our own life, our experiences, our knowledge, and the client does too. Whether it's a, a single, you know, a client, a family, or a group, they're all bringing that into the room as well. And I think if we can be mindful to the fact that there's creativity happening in the room, then we'll be open to it. That we'll see, you know, what's what's new in the room, what's dynamic, what's what's exciting about the work. I always feel that creativity is very energized. It's an energetic feeling. And if I'm in my social work practice and I'm in a session, if I don't feel some energy, then there's something off. I know there's something off. Either I'm stuck, they're stu we're stuck. You know, <laughs> There's something going on because it, even if that energy is stillness, engaged in stillness or engaged in silence, right? There's still something going on. And so that's where I, I think the creativity, creativity and style, individualism as we come to the work, but also the creativity within the work itself. I think, I think that's a, a, an exciting possibility. Hmm. That's a really interesting breakdown. And, and to be honest, I, I don't know that I'd ever put creativity and social work in the same sentence prior to this conversation. But as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, initially I thought the first four or five years of my career was in child protection and it didn't seem like there was a lot of room for creativity but you know as you kind of talk about that energy piece and sort of looking outside the box and, and thinking about other ways of yeah. approaching clients I think there that that really has come through and even in a child protection um, position can how can social workers achieve more creativity or, or higher levels of it? Or what, what are some factors that, that go into that? I think, I think what you said is ideal that thinking out, outside the box, not being, not being, um, not getting stereotyped and internalizing that too early in your career, but really kind of embracing what it is you have to contribute because we know when we're in the room with a client, we, we're, we're both contributing. There's a lot of, there's a lot going on there. And, you know, we're bringing our own energy and we're bringing our own, we're influencing something there. We are having an impact and, you know, and vice versa. And the mindfulness, I'll bring that in as well. I think really practically speaking, mindfulness technique will allow us to, I think, be the vehicle to open up that spaciousness in our own mind as to possibilities with a client. I have some clients that I've been seeing for a long time. And I think mindfulness and creativity helps me to build more of a capacity to see what's new in the room, what's changed, what's different, uh, those nuances that enliven us, right, as providers, and then enable us to help the client notice improvement and benefit from that. I don't think I'd see some of that, some of that. I don't think I'd be paying attention in a creative way to, uh, to, and bring, I don't think I'd be able to bring that to the work if I didn't practice some mindfulness and, and keep that open spacious mindfulness alive. 
Hmm. seeing clients for the first time, seeing what's new in them for the first time, every time. Um, Mindfulness helps us, I think, get also, uh, you know, I mentioned getting stuck. I think mindfulness helps us to get unstuck, to, to like to nudge some of that when that happens, it happens to all of us. Right. Um, It also helps us, I think, to co-regulate with our clients um, and to, to increase within ourselves and absolutely in our clients, that sense of intuitive, insightful learning and awareness. Because I know for me, a lot of times my work involves coaching and teaching. I'm teaching new skills. I'm coaching around uh, some, some kind of new learning or strategies, coping strategies. And, uh, and often there's assignments that people have to do. And I think the creativity is around who is this person that I'm facing today? How are they unique? How are they do- How do they learn? We all learn differently. So just keeping that kind of out of the box kind of thinking. Yeah. yeah. And when you say you're not creative and it doesn't go together, I don't, you didn't say that. You said social work and creativity. Again, I, I really want to encourage people, especially new to the profession, to kind of open up. Uh, yeah, keep an open mind to that because I think every human being is inherently creative. I really believe that. Um, everything we do, somebody had to imagine that first in order to make it happen, right? So the big stuff like landing on the moon, uh, creating vaccines, right? Um, trying to figure out technology so we can stay connected uh, to a pandemic, during a pandemic. That's all innovation. That's all creativity. Even when we simplistically or on a daily basis, you know, we're designing a garden, we're creating a meal, we're, we're, thinking, we're thinking as social workers, how can I deliver this program in a new and different way to, to meet the needs of, of uh, the clients I serve? Those are great points. And you talk about mindfulness. And I guess to enhance creativity, we need this other piece, which is mindfulness. Yeah. And mindfulness is um, in and of itself. I mean, there's so many benefits to it now. We know that. Uh, we know that it has now been uh, um, embraced by, you know, schools and prisons and hospitals and, and community health centers and with uh, our young people, I mean, and our seniors, there's so many different and, and folks that are struggling and having challenges with mental health and, and substance use. I think that it has been something that we've, we've taken and we've modified and we've tweaked it in some ways to benefit our clients. I also think that even, even in a day-to-day kind of situation, like I've seen, I've seen mindfulness, uh, be able to open up to creative approaches within theoretical frameworks that we've may have learned like CBT and DBT and, you know, all of those different frameworks that we that we're all studying and we're all learn, learning these days. I think that the mindfulness opens us up to be able to mindfully watch our mind wander, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the wandering mind is when the creativity happens. So artists, for example, do, as you pointed out, improv to try and see what those, you know, see and notice associations that are like free associations. And that's where the really creative richness will come up. Um, I think practically speaking, when we're in team meetings, if we, if we happen to work with a team uh, in supervision, clinical supervision with clients, absolutely in program delivery, if, if we can even start some of that work mindfully, right? With clients or without, I think that will keep us open-minded to new possibilities. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And how do you help your clients develop a mindfulness or meditation practice? Is there any tips or wisdom that you you typically share with them? Yeah, I think I introduce it uh, right away as part of my skill set. I was very fortunate, again, where I work, uh, they sent me to uh, a center here in Toronto where I had some really comprehensive teaching, facilitator teaching and and training. So then I had the opportunity again to use that in my social work practice. So I will let clients know that that's an option to them. Of course, there are clients sometimes that it's not appropriate for. And, um, you know, that that's important work as well. That's important to know when it's not 
going to be a good fit with a certain client. Some clients don't want to do it. That's fine. It's just an array. It's that buffet of options for them. And that's part of my role to, to serve that up to them. Um, but for me personally on a, on a, and, and professionally on that level, I might do a little bit meditation between clients, for example, like a tiny little brief one so that when I greet the client, I'm, I'm greeting them with fresh eyes. I'm seeing them as if for the first time, right? I'm clearing the space because I work in an office generally. So I'm clearing the space to be inviting and, and uh, to greet the next person that comes in. I once read that every human being is a work of art. And I really, that, I really love that. Yeah. I love how you approach your, your clients and your sessions as a fresh start or, and to be open to what's changed or what's new with the client. Um, I think that's a really, really interesting perspective on it. And you kind of mentioned there's some clients that maybe aren't into mindfulness or that you might not talk about or really broach it with them. What types of clients do you find maybe aren't into it or, or aren't appropriate for building that, that practice? Uh, I think for some people, I make it clear that it's a choice and while I would respectfully acknowledge that mindfulness meditation comes from Eastern traditions, that it's, that's not, you know, I'm not teaching a religious based practice, right? That it's for wellness. It's part of the mainstream uh, health sector, right? So reassuring people of that around that. Um, some people have never meditated before. It's never even come up for them. So really uh, a lot of psychoeducational material on what, this means and how they could benefit, really how they could benefit, because I want to enhance that as well. Um, you know, and just taking it slowly, it's a practice, and it takes time and just introducing it, I try to introduce it, um, not that it's going to fix everything. Right. And there's this kind of idea out there that it's about relaxation. That's a beautiful sort of secondary byproduct of, of mindfulness meditation, but it's not only about that. It's about folks being able to sit with uncertainty and difficult emotions and difficult thinking and behaviors and it, hopefully in a benign, safe environment so that they can build tolerance. And they, you know, someone once said mindfulness meditation is a bit like exposure therapy. And there's, I think there's a little bit of truth to that. So we take it very slowly. I would say in the folks that, may not be appropriate for it because it's not for everyone is our folks that are, you know, actively suicidal, a lot of psychosis, right? So, and I would say there are some people for sure that have a very complex uh, trauma history. And so I would be quite cautious about teaching those folks. I mean, again, it's part of the assessment and it's part of the relationship. It depends on where you're at with the client, I think, at the beginning or middle or, you know, you have a strong relationship. That makes a lot of sense. Do you, would you feel comfortable sharing maybe a, a meditation or mindfulness activity or, pra or technique or piece you know, of work? I, I think one of the things I would talk to a beginner about is to try and build in very tiny little micro meditations throughout their day. So I might invite someone, for example, we're doing a lot of hand washing these days. So, right. So I might invite people to mindfully wash their hands. So engaging the senses, pausing, being very deliberate and intentional about washing their hands, really engaging the sense of the, you know, the water, the temperature, the feeling on their skin, getting some soap, all breaking it down into what's is what actors actually call is beats. You're breaking it down into chunks or to beat in beats. And you're really, really absorbing that experience and allowing it to have an impact on you. Hopefully a good one. But allowing it, yeah, and I would start with pleasant experience before I'd ever go into more unpleasant, right? So, so you know, inst in implementing, integrating 
tiny bits of mindfulness throughout their day. So I might say every time you go up the stairs, I want you to slow that down and really engage in the body, engage in the thoughts and the feelings as you go up the stairs, or just engage in the body, start with the body, because the body, as we know, is always a refuge, it's a place to return to. And just, you know, commit to every time I go walking upstairs, if that's possible, um, to be as mindful as possible. And I would teach them how to do that. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. That seems like a really great first step for someone. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important to outline the potential benefits of doing that, slowing down, creating space, creating gaps, allowing themselves to be in the present moment, which is mindfulness, right? Present moment awareness, that's one definition. Um, but, and, and then again, why is that, that going to be helpful? How is that going to be helpful to them? And I might practice it with them and I might teach it to them and, and enhance the idea that, you know, try and get some type of commitment if possible. Like, can you, do you think you could do that once or twice a day? But usually something as an introductory practice, it would, it would be something pleasant. Yeah. Nice. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned acting and this beats, I guess, analogy. Um, so I guess with acting and being an artist, there's probably a lot of skills that maybe you already had coming into social work. But can you talk a little bit about some of that crossover and how mindfulness meditation can help artistic folks as well? Great. Thank you. That's a great question. Um, so actors, I can only speak to actors. Actors are generally, in order to do the job, they have to be very good listeners. Because acting is reacting. So if I don't hear what my scene partner is saying and really absorb what that means to me and allow it to land, allow it to land, I can't react. So I think social work is also about very deep enhanced listening. And I, I, I think there's that crossover, right? I think when actors prepare a script, they're looking at, yes, I move here and I say this line and but there's a lot of other stuff going on there. They're trying to find out what's underneath. What are the emotions underneath what the person's saying? I think we do that as social workers, right? Where are the surprises? Where are the moments in, in a line or in a scene that something shifts? There's a shift that something said perhaps that we can't go back on. We can't pretend we didn't hear. I think that happens in sessions. I think people say things to us all the time where we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's go back to that. You said that. Can we talk about that for a moment? All right. So it's a type of listening. It's a type of, of uh, enhanced listening, but also reaching, I think, for the emotion underneath what's happening in the room. I think we experience each other as humans on many different levels. Um, and I think that's the stuff that actors have to look for in a scene and in character. Um, and it's, and I think that happens in the room with, with our clients. Again, it's about human stories, the telling of human stories. We're working with, with human stories as social workers too. I love yeah. it. It kind of brings me back to when I was doing my master's, uh, a placement where my supervisor was a really big gestalt therapist. And he introduced me to the empty chair technique and, you know, throughout, you know, future years of training. And, and as I got into emotion focused therapy, really falling in love with doing chair work. And there's a real experiential in the moment, have no clue where this is going element to that. That's for sure. Yeah. I like chair work too. It's, it's exciting. And, and I have, I have clients actually right now, there's a couple that, um, you know, maybe chair work isn't their thing. So going back to the storytelling and this and the and the 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 um, you know the witnessing and the working through of, of human stories, some of them are actually writing the story out instead. You know, so whatever works for people, right? And again, there's the the creative approach to social work. If that doesn't work, then maybe we can try this. You know, and that for me is what's exciting. Chair work is very exciting, and it is a little bit. It's not, 
there is that sense of how do I communicate in a new and different way? How do I process something in a completely fresh and different way? Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I, I agree. And I think the emotion focused therapy work um, I've worked with clients with that as well. And, and also I practice that myself with the guidance of, of Bill and many members of that group. But um, again, that's kind of the mindfulness is kind of like connecting to the, the personal story, right? Our internal life, our personal story. Then in the creativity in the actor's life, the actor's process is connecting to the stories of others as is our work in social work. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And, and I sort of, my mind is running all over the place with what you're saying, um, which is great. And it makes me think of an interview I did with a couple guys from the UK that are uh, really big into training chair work and um, Matt Pugh and Tobin Bell. and, And they were talking about the fact that we're in, this is the hundredth year anniversary of psychodrama. Mm. which is one of the wow. early therapeutic approaches and combining creativity, acting, therapy, uh, and healing. And so I wanted to kind of just kind of get back into the acting piece because you've also really taken social issues and real life um, things that you've experienced in your social work career. And it sounds like implemented those or used those as uh, storylines for plays. Can yes. you talk, talk a little bit about Gailey Road Productions and, and your latest project? Yes, thank you. Um, so Gailey Road Productions, I've done a few uh, plays with, with that company. They're a company that I would say, you know, they have a mission. They have a goal to highlight, to promote, not promote, but to explore and examine the the lives of the queer community. Specifically, the latest project out at school, which was about a verbatim play based on interviews with families um, and about their experiences as queer families in the education system in Ontario. And it's a very powerful piece. And I and Gailey Road has done many, many different productions uh, that have, I guess, one might consider social justice or yeah, a social justice lens that they're writing um, comes from. And I, I admire that. I mean, you know, I think that it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. And it's really an opportunity, again, to look at how art can be expressive for people. Um, so there was that project. And we did that as a play live uh, for 2019 Pride in Toronto. And then we were supposed to do it again in March and for, I think, 500 educators across the province. Um, But unfortunately, it was another casualty of COVID. So the producers took, they they got some funding and they turned it into an audio play. And so the same actors came together, directors, creative, uh, you know, the creatives and all the crew. And we put it on as we, we, we established an audio play and that's been great. That was just launched in April. So very proud of that. But I think as an actor, not always, sometimes I just go for the play because I love plays and literature, but there's quite often I'm looking at plays and I'm thinking, what is the messaging here? How does this make the audience feel? Is it going to move people? Is it going to stimulate new thoughts, new ideas, different perspectives, different points of view, right? And art has the ability to, to, for us to look at very, very difficult themes in life with some healthy detachment, if you will. You know, we'll go to see a play, we'll hear a piece of music, we'll look at a painting or a sculpture, and there'll be something about it that we connect to. And it, it, it's, it's um, I just think it's, a, it's one of the ways we celebrate being alive, creating art. And, it, and I guess it, there's such a, a growth in expressive therapies, as you had kind of mentioned, art therapy, play therapy, music therapy, uh, narrative therapy. What do you find happens like when you're working with your clients and you're maybe working with them on expressing 
uh, emotions or, or their story. Um, what do you, what do you find happens with your clients as you, you embark on those types of therapies? I think what comes to mind right away is that they are able to elicit, find their own insightful, intuitive knowledge, right? As opposed to, of course, me, you know, imposing that. And that's so much more powerful. And I think the creative side of their brain gets activated. So they're able to connect to images, to color, to all kinds of things that we can't put into words. And sometimes that's more beneficial. I think once we be... Once we begin, and mindfulness does this too, once we begin to reduce the linguistic part of our brain that gets in the way, and we've got to put everything in a category and everything into words, I think mindfulness helps us to free associate things arise, you know, creative thoughts arise, and we can connect to, I think, different things like images, like music, um, art, that enables us to process quite a bit what's going on in our lives the finer things in life. I think so. I think so. Or even the tough stuff, right? Some like a a social work colleague of mine who worked in the corrections, uh, criminal justice system mentioned to me, now I, I, I would love to pursue uh, this, at least to get some kind of familiarity with it, but mentioned to me the incredible poetry, the incredible art that comes out of that population, that community. In, a, in, an, in an attempt to express their experiences, their histories and how they feel. Mm. Well, yeah. And spoken word and even th- there's hip hop therapy. Um, there's so many ways of engaging different populations through art. Yeah. And I think that's social work person. If, you know, I go, my training's a long time ago, but you know, I remember pu- the, you know, PI, the acronym PI person in environment. So if that's how we're approaching our work and we understand the social determinants of health and how that has an impact on and influence on us, and we look at health holistically, we look at it as whole person, then we know that absolutely science and medicine, Western medicine, amazing, right? Amazing benefits and breakthroughs, but that's not the whole person. And I think if we can take a step back and think what else is therapeutic here? they call it medical arts. So it's an art form, right? I, I think social work, social services, however, we're landing this. I think it's also an art form. So when we approach our work with, okay, who is this person? Like, you know, what, what, what's meaningful to them? What's important to them? And how will art perhaps help with their, their, their healing and their, their therapy? Mm-hmm. It may, it may get to parts of them that, we, we simply can't put into words and that's okay. You know, that's, that's fine. And it makes me think of blocks of creativity because I think there are a lot of them um, with COVID, especially our own stress and um, restrictions with what organizations that we work in. Yeah. And I think imposter syndrome can be a big block and, and especially for, you know, new social workers, new therapists or mental health workers sort of, Am I doing things the right way? Um, yeah. 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 We've all been through that. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. Do you have any tips, wisdom for new, new social workers, new therapists, new, new people that want to help in the, in the helping profession or in the mental health field? I would just say really trust yourself and trust that you have something to contribute and that you are a unique individual yourself. You have your own style. You have your own unique contribution um, to making a difference. That there's a hot, you know, there's so many different ways to be a social worker. I go back to that class when I was in my early training and a new brand new social worker. And I'm so grateful that he, he made that as an offering to us. Mm. It stuck with me. And it also opened me up to the possibility of the diversity in other social workers, the, 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 the diversity, the uniqueness, uh, and divergent opinions, divergent thoughts, and 
um, from my clients and, and the communities I work with. Nice. I think it's very enriching. That's what I think. <laughs> Personally, I have, I think I, I feel very passionate about how mindfulness creates that landscape to and space in order to let difference and diversity in and creativity does the same thing. And then we translate that down to our work. I, I would just say to them, don't be afraid to just be yourself and that that's a beautiful thing and to bring that into your work. That's, that's great advice. Well, and I like this one, two punch of creativity and mindfulness. Yeah. They're kind of go together, right? They kind of go together. I think, I think that, I mean, I'm not a mindfulness expert, but I know uh, we approach it with non-judgmental, you know, non-critical, uh, open, compassionate, self-compassion. Um, the greatest barrier to being creative is fear. So fear of, be, of making mistakes, fear of being judged. And that, you know, kind of goes with a new social work career as well. You just kind of mentioned that, right? Fear of making mistakes, fear of not doing it correctly or, or the right way. And again, a mindfulness approach is there is no right or wrong. It's just, it, it just is. And allow us to, you know, connect to what arises. Um, and I think there's some freedom in that as social workers. I think that's a really a freeing statement that you just made. And it takes some of that weight off that we yeah. put on ourselves to, to be doing really good work and to fall within, you know, the limitations that we have. Um, so that's, that's really good advice. And I want to circle back for a second. Cause I, I saw a play that you were a part of called snap. Um, mm-hmm. And it was an anger man, a comedy about an anger management support group. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, so I didn't write that a friend, uh, actor friend wrote it and um, she actually came up with it completely sort of on her own. And then the two of us collaborated a bit and, you know, it wasn't a how to play. Like it wasn't kind of like to teach people how to run an anger management group. Right. It was actually quite, uh, it was quite funny. It was a comedy. Um, and it just, we had, you know, the typical, if you think of social work group work, you know, we had the different people in the group had their different roles. So one was monopolizing and then there was someone else who was completely silent. You had to draw them out and <laughs> right. And the facilitator, the facilitator was like this woman who comes to, you know, and she's got lots of great intentions and knowledge to share. And by the end of it, she's lost it. Like, <laughs> and everybody's looking at her like, what's wrong with her? <laughs> right? And it was just, it was really fun. It was a lot of fun and just a, a neat way to, um, to explore group work, you know, in a, in a theatrical comedic kind of way. It was at the Toronto Fringe and we had, we had a hoot and I was uh, um, co-producing on that show. So we had decided to make it site specific and in the theater, the world of theater that you're, you're finding a place where you don't need a set you're actually so we ended up getting uh, a room in a community center that actually had held anger management groups in that room and the audience had to come into the community center and almost kind of be a part of the group you know like it was fun it was a lot of fun that sounds like a blast <laughs> well and I, and I think um the group aspects of social work you know what a great place that can breed creativity. Oh and, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And cohesion and, and so many other amazing things. And a type of un, uh, I guess, I don't know, unspoken, I guess almost it's, I think group work sometimes is like this free flowing improv. You've, you know, one of the, one of the things around improv, there's a technique in improv that's well known is the yes. And if anybody's ever taken an improv class and that's a technique, an improv technique where whatever fundamentally, whatever is being offered to you, 
you say yes to it. You don't block it. You say yes. And so, yes, I accept. And I now make a contribution. Hmm. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? I think so, so. I'm just trying to wrap my head around. We're talking about improv. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yes, and is an improv technique. And I have seen that kind of happening, often happening in groups. Not always. It hmm. certainly, I think, ha- can happen in a session with one client. Because the client arrives, you may have an agenda. Okay, we're going we're gonna to cover this session on CBT, or we're going to look at this in motivational interviewing technique, whatever. And they arrive and they're making an offering. It could be, I've had a crappy day or this happened on the weekend or whatever. And all of a sudden you've kind of got to shift your agenda and walk beside the client, be where the client is at. And so then you're saying, yes, you're actually saying metaphorically, you're saying yes to what they bring to the room. And then you're going to layer that with, with some type of contribution. So that's really an, it's an improv technique and it's, it's actually quite beneficial in sessions, but also I think it's very beneficial in, in meetings, like in a team meeting um, for brainstorming, for problem solving, for trying to come up with creative new ideas, innovative ways to deliver a service or a program. If I'm in a team meeting and I use the yes and technique, which I, I kind of, I really like. And, you know, we're all trying, there's something happening and it's intense and it's important and everybody's brainstorming. If you come into it with the yes, like a, almost like a validation or an acknowledgement, yes, that's an idea, that's a great idea. And how about this? Or how about that? Yeah. That's cool. I like that. And I could see that really playing out well in groups between group participants. For sure. For sure. I've seen it happen. It's, it's almost like a, like a instinct, you know, it's almost happened. It almost happens spontaneously. Well, that's cool. Well, there's so much crossover between your two, two <laughs> careers and it's really, it's really neat to hear about it all. I wrote a play uh, as well. Um, some personal experience. Uh, I co-wrote it, pardon me, with another actor, Jillian Reese Brown. And it was about um, caregiving and having elderly parents and elderly mom in the hospital and and about the hospital system. And I got to write a social worker in the, in the, in the play. And, uh, and it, it explored some themes like the depersonalization of, of our healthcare system at times. Right. And, how families struggle and the family dynamics and caregiving and, uh, you know, looking at our, our mortality and all kinds of uh, intense themes that we all as humans have to take a look at, but it was, um, it was in a theatrical form and it was, it was a lot of fun. And again, you know, speaking personally, it was a way to process some experience, Mm. you know, in a way that felt, that felt um, gratifying and again, I think I said earlier, gives you a bit of safety or something. Safety, safety to look at it, the ability to look at something without it being spotlighted, you know? Mm. Well, I have a yes and moment here. Um, <laughs> so yes, that sounds amazing. And I have a, a personal experience uh, that I've had with writing over the last year when the first wave of COVID hit. I had all this time um, outside of work all of a sudden, and I found myself writing uh, what I would love to be a TV show one day about my experience in child welfare. And it was a really therapeutic process for me. It's a really dark story, but it's, it's almost me going back through my, some of my really hard cases and creating a different ending a happier ending for the child. Yeah. Um, so that, that is yeah. amazing. That is wonderful. As you were talking about that, it just sort of made me think of that experience that I had that was, you know, and writing such a great way of processing things. And there was so many images and visualization that went with that for me. And I think that was really healing for me to do That's that. Wonderful. Yeah. So, and I, and I guess, you know, as a social worker, we hear and see so many, so many things and witnessing pain and being with clients through, you know, processing traumatic events. 
What do you do to manage, mitigate, prevent burnout and vicarious trauma? I think that for me, it's definitely being an actor as well. My certainly writing at, at times. Um, I'm very fortunate to have an incredible social work team uh, that I can bounce ideas off of that I can work through some stuff that I don't feel sometimes I think our work feels kind of isolating and kind of even lonely maybe at times especially if we're in private practice and I think it's so important to have a network of people that you can trust and who get you you know who get you and also being able to be really good clinicians and make good choices around self-reflection and, and, the, and, and to know that, you know, of course we have limits and that that's a good thing. I mean, I, I like boundaries. I like limit setting for myself because then I know what I need to focus on, right? Those, I can't do everything. I can't be everything. So I have to boundary myself so that then that enables me to, to look at, okay, that's where my attention needs to go. So I like that, that. Yeah. That's a really great way to put it. That gives me the limits of what I can focus on. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, and can you talk about any upcoming projects? What's on the horizon for you, Jory? Um, well, I, because of the pandemic, it's been, you know, that we've been boundaried, whether we want to be boundaried or not, but <laughs> But so one of the things that I've started looking at, and I shared this with my colleagues, and they were, of course, very supportive, is I've started doing a little bit of voice work. And I have a, I have a, I guess, a, a you know, a goal or whatever you want to call it, where I'd like to do more um, narration of books, audible books, and, uh, you know, possibly volunteer with the, um, the Canadian, the CNIB, uh, to do some work there and uh, to possibly use my voice a little bit more in terms of reaching out to people and connecting through an artistic pursuit, which would be narration of, of, of fiction, primarily fiction. Nice. Yeah. Like as you were walking me through your hand-washing mindfulness activity, I, the thought I had was you should really do guided meditation because you have such a calming. Oh, calming kind and and sort of soft voice thank you matt thank really you really relaxing thank you thank you for saying that um you know the voice just an aside here the voice is considered the second impression between human beings so our first impression because we take in so much information is through sight and the second impression is established through sound. So, so our voices. So people are actually in a way that they're not, maybe not even in a subconscious kind of way, are taking in the tone and the quality. And we can see that in children, of course. They're really tuned into how we speak, the tone of our voice. We know uh, our pets often are as well. Animals can be as well. So it's interesting. Uh, I think... I think the voice is quite, uh, it is something that they're starting to look at more. That's yeah, awesome. but thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, I hope that works out and, and we'll have to, you'll have to keep me updated on new projects that are, that are coming out. And I, hopefully once COVID sort of wraps up, then you'll be back writing plays or acting and. Yeah, I, um, it's, it's something I've been doing my whole life. And uh, I can't see ever really shifting too far away from it. Um, yeah, but thank you for that. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back into it again. I miss it very much. And I miss, I miss my clients and my colleagues. And I think we can all identify with that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, how can people reach out to you if they want to connect with you if they want to find out more about your services, about the community health center, about your, your artistic work, what's the best avenue for that? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, I do have an email at work. I don't, I'm sure they could, you know, if people wanted to reach out there. Um, 
through the health center. And of course we are on, uh, we have a, a website if people want to check out more of our services as well. And um, so my email is jmorrow at srchc.com. Okay. Yeah. And I'd be happy to share more information, <clears throat> excuse me, in detail about the, the services at the health center. As I said, there's probably a lot I missed because <laughs> we're so we're quite large now and we have different satellites uh, in different parts of the city. Um, so I, I'm sure there's quite a bit I've missed. But um, as I said, the website is there for people and we're updating that, of course, on a regular basis. Nice. And I guess we should probably give a shout out to your coworkers at the uh, South Riverdale Community Health Center if they're listening. Oh, they're amazing. They're all amazing. Good people. Very good people. And they do some, some great work. Awesome. Well, it's been so good talking to you, Jory. Thank you, Matt. To you as well. To you as well. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, hope, I hope everything uh, works out in the future and we'll have to stay in touch. We will. Yeah, we will for sure. And the best to you as well. Thank you.